Today's podcast is sponsored by the Reformation Art of Catherine Marchand. Start your collection today at CatherineMarchandArt.com. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm one of the hosts, Carl Truman, a professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania, here with my straight man, sidekick, stooge, uh, <laughs> Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor of, let me get this correct, uh-huh. Covenant Presbyterian yes. Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, yes. which is a congregation in the Presbyterian Church in America. It is, you know, and I've only known you for about 12 years, so yeah, that's pretty good I that finally you finally nailed it. Yeah, I finally, uh-huh. But of course, you were a schismatic Baptist uh, radical when I first met I you. was, I was. Uh, I was a non-denominational yeah. schismatic. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was only under my good influence. On your tutelage, finally, I became a Presbyterian. Yeah. Well, you joined the PCA. I, that's, I, I, that's, that's the, not, the wrong kind of Presbyterian, yeah, but we'll, nevertheless. We'll make a distinction here. Right. Well, it's uh, great to have you all with us today, and we're going to be interviewing a good friend of ours, a, a friend and supporter of the program for many years. He is the pastor of Sovereign Grace Church in Bakersfield, California. And uh, it's important, I think, to, to make a caveat that that's not part of any Sovereign Grace denomination. Yeah, if there it's, is one out there, it's not a part of, yeah, of, of well, that. Well, right. We've never heard of it. Right. But, uh, uh, Chad is, uh, is pastor of this church, but he has an interesting story because Chad started off as, as one of the royalty of the young, restless, and reformed, big evangelical <laughs> world. And it's that we want to talk about today. But first thing, Chad, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, I want to talk about your surname first. Chad Vegas, is that some kind of, you know, professional gambler nickname? Is that your I, real name? I'd man? kill for that name. Is that I'd your real for that name? Yeah, yeah that, that, is, that is the real name. Uh, my, my mom liked some television movie star in the 70s named Chad something. I don't remember his last mm-hmm. name. Um, I, I, think, I think he played some kind of TV doctor or something. And... Uh, and my dad's last name was Vegas, which he found out when he joined the military. He did not know that prior to going because to Because there was some confusion that he might be a descendant of Zorro. Yeah. Right? Yeah. De- yeah. It was De La Vega? Yeah. His name was Don, and he thought they, we thought at some point there's claims that it was Don De La Vega. Oh. Um, That's like my colleague here claiming to be a descendant of John Knox. Oh, stop it. Chad, you need to hang on to that. You need to be a descendant of, of Zorro. So. Zorro, yeah, yeah. But Vegas is, has been serviceable. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> as a last name. So now, yeah, I've, I've been asked that a lot of times. Actually, when I ran for office in 2004, I went into a, to a radio station when I was running for public office here in, locally. And I was turning in my information for the commercial, the ad we were going to run on the radio. And the guy looked at me and goes, is your name really Chad Vegas? I said, yeah. He goes, that's radio gold. It's radio gold. I was like, okay. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So when you were in Big Eva, Chad, did you used to come in to preach through all the dry ice with Viva Las Vegas playing? Yeah, I would have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, 
I, yeah, I was in Big Eva, but never, never that big in Big Eva. But yes, yeah. yeah. Well, tell us something then about you. One of the first things I learned about you when we first met was uh, you were connected to Mark Driscoll in the early days. You were very much involved in in the kind of the buzz and the excitement. X twenty nine, X twenty nine. Those guys who were sort of grabbing hold of Calvinistic theology and doing something. Different, I was going to say, doing something different with it, growing churches with right. it, perhaps. Uh, can you tell us about how you got involved with that movement or why it caught your imagination? Yeah, so I was a 33-year-old church planter um, here in Bakersfield. I, ha- I was moving in a reform direction. I'm not sure I would, I would be qualified as reformed. It depends on who's defining the word, I suppose. Um, but I was moving in that direction. I certainly believed in the soteriology at that point, at least the doctrine of salvation that, that is put out. But I was looking for other church planters who were like-minded. And one of my buddies had become a director for the region we were in for Acts 29. And he had said, hey, uh, he was helping me understand how to plant a church. And he said, hey, if you want more help, um, you need to join Acts 29 so that I can direct my efforts into the work I'm doing there. So I had never heard of Acts 29. It seemed like a strange name to me, but I didn't think much about it. I was just like, okay, if this is where kind of the young reformed church planning guys are going, I'm happy to to jump in with you and and learn. I need. I was lonely. Um, I was one of the few Calvinistic guys in my town. I was trying to plant a church. So I was one of the few church planters and um, I just needed company. So, and help. So I joined up with that group. That was the pretty early days of Acts 29, not the very earliest days, mm-hmm. but pretty early. Um, went to a retreat. There were maybe 50 pastors. Uh, my wife and I, the pastors and their wives retreat. So those were fairly early days because as you know, it's much larger now. Right. Uh, but joined up then and became a part of that group and became friends with those guys had great, great friendships. Uh, many of the men were godly, helpful men. Um, some of them were more adolescent from a maturity perspective in, in my mind, which was troubling, but some of them were, were quite solid, became friends with Driscoll through that. Um, and he was, he was incredibly gracious and helpful to me in the early years, for sure. I didn't listen to his sermons or read his book, so I didn't know what he was teaching. So as I would be taken out to, um, out to lunch, people would be checking out my church and they'd say, well, you're an X-29. We want to ask you about this Mark Driscoll guy. I, I hadn't read what they read or listened to what they listened to. And so I, I wasn't aware entirely of what they were saying. Cause I just had a personal friendship with him. Yeah. You guys know what that's like. You have personal friendships with pastors. You're not involved in their ministry. So you right. don't know exactly what it looks like in their church but you have assumptions about it. Mm-hmm. So early days went on vacation. You know, we went, we would all go on vacation together, us and our wives um, every year had several um, different sort of conferences together, had, you know, dinner at Mark's house. I mean, that kind of stuff. I mean, we were a pretty tight knit group at the time. Now, Chad, you, you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, you, you hadn't read Mark's books, you know, Mark, uh, one of the books he wrote is called doctrine. And yep. um, a, a mutual friend of ours uh, did an endorsement of that book. Uh, you would his, rob a man of his repentance. His, his name is Carl Truman. Na- shame. Shame on you. His name is Carl Truman. And I have a copy yeah. of that book, Doctrine, with Carl's uh, endorsement of it printed uh, proudly on, on the back I, cover. I've kept the payments to your bank account every month, man. What are yeah. you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Um, in all seriousness, uh, Chad, w- when you began to see maybe some uh, 
stress fractures in the movement um, or, or some troubling signs. What, what was that when you began to, and you know, we're not asking you to dish dirt, but, but I mean, clearly the, the, the movement has had, it's not in its glory days anymore. There were, there were several things. Um, it was a little bit of a confusing time. As you guys know, the gospel coalition was on the rise. Acts 29 was involved with that. It was really on the rise and seen as a pretty reliable voice at the time. Right. I mean, Carl was an, a pretty significant editor for them, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the early days. I had very close friendships with a lot of those guys um, and still have close friendships with some of them. Um, and Driscoll was really helpful. My, my own wife was ill for seven months, really sick for seven months. And mm-hmm. he sent some pastors down here to help out and they paid someone to clean my house every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there were many ways in which they were very generous and helpful guys. And I was thankful for that. At the same time, it was confusing for me because I started to think, I don't think by reformed, they mean what I'm coming to understand. Right. And I was slowly realizing this is another iteration of the church growth movement. Right. It's just church growth in a younger, hipper, different mm-hmm. fashion. Yeah. I was recognizing that um, it was a lot of pragmatism. What grows the church? Um, rather than asking doctrinally what ought our practices to be. Mm-hmm. It's just what what grows the church were the large or the major questions. I appreciate their desire to reach lost people. Um, I did, but some of the ways in which we would go about that or guys would promote that were not, I don't think, particularly biblical. Mm-hmm. So I had growing concerns about that. Um, I appreciated the focus on the gospel and gospel centrality, but that came with a lot of licentiousness, right? immaturity, over-enjoyment in particular freedoms yeah. or liberties, right? Yep. Um, yep. Some of the Tulian Chavigian kind of stuff, if you will, yeah, um, exactly. was coming out, and, and he was a well-respected voice then, too. At, and, and I have all these reliable voices saying good things, and even Driscoll's book on doctrine, I mean, I remember looking at Driscoll's doctrine book and asking the guys, I was really concerned because in one section on eternal begottenness, he was arguing that eternal begottenness sounded something like akin to Mormonism. Yeah. And I thought, wow, he just said that in his book. And then I pointed out to guys, doesn't this concern you? And actually one of the things thrown at me was, well, Carl Truman endorsed it. So uh, um, yes. <laughs> you have no idea how glad I am to know that. Well, thanks yeah, for being yeah. on the spin today, Chad. We're about to pull that <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> that was You robbed me of my repentance. Uh, uh, that was thrown at me in Vail, Colorado by some other well-known people, actually. Interesting. Uh, actually, though, in one sense, Carl, I'm glad you wrote that endorsement because I had never heard of you till that. So I looked you up and started reading your articles. <laughs> Who is this right? Who endorses anything yet? Yeah. So I was like, oh, who's this guy? I better look him up and see what he's about. And then I started reading your articles critiquing the movement I was a part of. And, uh, deciding, I think Carl's right. I think he's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I forwarded it to a lot of Acts 29 guys. I mean, I was, I even listened to the panel that Carl did at T4G yep. where he, was a celebrity critiquing celebrities. He was a well-known person. I was a, a well-known public person. figure, public critiquing figure. celebrities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. He wasn't that actually a celebrity, fairness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was critiquing them. And I was at dinner with some guys after that, by the yeah. way, some of the guys who were being critiqued. Yeah. And there was some discussion about some of us being frustrated with some of the celebrities Carl was critiquing because we heard those same celebrities complain of the very things that Carl was saying was a problem with celebrity, but then on a panel saying that 
that those weren't real problems. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it's the whole thing for me was a bit disillusioning. Yeah, I right. was never a big name in that group, but I had friends. I was friends with some, some of the bigger names and it was a bit disillusioning for me um, at the time, yeah. but it was the elephant room stuff that ultimately was gotcha. like the, the nail in the coffin for me. Yeah. 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 I, I, I gave up the critique of the celebrity pastor thing and, and because it became very clear to me that the people who could do something about it were the celebrities mm-hmm. and whatever they said about yeah disdain for celebrity in public they very clearly enjoyed building their ministries on on celebrity and it became a question for me of do i want to spend the rest of my life critiquing something when the only people who can do something about it are doing so well out of it right they have no interest in in listening to any critique so i moved on to other things but i'm glad chad that uh, despite my i mean i've repented on this program already for the driscoll (laughs) endorsement you know you people, Todd, you're as bad as these social justice warriors, you know, where it's not enough to repent. We Absolutely must continue not. to repent. Absolutely. Um, you need to be in no a grace. There's no, no grace. No redemption after you did yeah. that. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. somebody, somebody's going to pull down that Carl Truman statue at Westminster Seminary someday. <laughs> oh, I, I think that one was pulled down a long, long time ago. I think I think they pulled that one, actually. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, um... <laughs> yeah, they bought that and pulled it so it's gone (laughs) so Um, anyway yeah sorry anyway chad on on a on a positive front um so you're getting disillusioned with uh you're getting disillusioned with with big eva so to speak yeah how did that change your own ministry where 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 have you moved to since then in terms of your thinking and your ecclesiology and and your church practice yeah i think um we had adopted a confession when we started the church, which was the Second London Baptist Confession, and that was actually because of PCA elder. I, I had met a PCA elder. I knew him, and I had asked him. Um, I told him, I really like the Westminster Confession, but I, I was pretty new to all of that, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I had just left kind of a dispensational view. Yeah. And I said, I just don't know about this baby baptism thing. And he said, he actually, this PCA elder said to me, actually, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith is the confession for you. And I didn't really know what that mean meant, except I liked the Westminster Confession, but I wasn't sure about infant baptism or what, what to even think about that because it was pretty new to me. And so I thought, okay, well, we'll just pick that confession then for our church. I mean, I was pretty evangelical. It seems like that would be a, a, a more robust document than the kind of basic doctrinal statement we had. So we sort of picked that for our church, but we didn't really know entirely what that meant to be confessional mm-hmm. um, and how that impacts the church. I just knew that a basic evangelical doctrinal statement was wholly insufficient. And and, uh, and, and follow up with that, because a lot of folks, um, I think, really struggle with 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 understanding what is good and right and powerful and in some ways liberating about a a, a more comprehensive kind of confession, whether you're talking about uh, the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession. Um, how would you summarize what has that done for you? And, and for this church, you, uh, it's, it's been liberating for our elders to some degree because we don't have to rehash mm-hmm. um, all the time what it is that we as elders hold to yeah. or what we believe and what we're going to teach in our church. There's a standard there that we've said that we believe is a biblical standard and we hold to that. That doesn't mean we haven't had to wrestle through topics. I mean, even my own covenant theology 
is probably fairly inconsistent with my view of baptism. And that gets pointed out to me so often. Yeah. Um, so we've had to talk through that issue and we continue to wrestle through that issue, but we, we sort of have a, a place that governs that, I think, for the elders. The second thing is it's been freeing for our congregation. They don't have to worry that their pastor is just a pope on this particular corner mm-hmm. who tells them every week what their doctrine is. Right. They know in advance and they can hold us to that. So we all have a doctrine. We just don't all write it down. And so I think for us, the freeing thing is, I think Carl said this in the creedal imperative, but, um, and I probably won't say it as artfully as he wrote it, but basically because our doctrine is public, it's known, it can be scrutinized and, and looked at and we can, our own teaching can be held against that standard Mm -hmm. because we all have a doctrine. It's just whether we write it down and are honest about it or not. Right. So for us, it's written down. We're honest about it. There's no bait and switch. Our church doesn't show up on Sunday and say, our pastor believes what? Right. And the other thing is, is that it's it's given us a sense of, it's given me an ability to, this might sound strange, but the more confessional I've become, the more Catholic I'm able to be. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not just Catholic in the classical, like I believe in the classical Orthodox doctrine of God, um, though that's true, but more Catholic in the sense that, um, maybe less insecure about competing confessions within Protestantism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, those are my brothers. We disagree, but, but we're brothers and we, I, it, it sounds strange, but it's, it's actually caused a lot of unity for us and Catholicity toward others. Yeah. Have you found your congregation have received your, your shifts? I mean, you, presumably you, you've been pastor of the same church throughout this entire period, Chad. Have have you found that you've lost congregants? Have you found that you've carried them with you? Have they have they come along for the journey but not shared your convictions? What what, what would be your take on on the congregation throughout this period? Yeah, they've largely come along with us. Um, the only people I've really lost to confessionalism is people who want me to hurry up toward Presbyterianism more. Um, <laughs> Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> so I've lost some people that way, but. But as far as confessional is concerned, I haven't really lost anybody over our move in that direction. In fact, I would say they've been very appreciative of mm-hmm. that direction. But we're also not, you know, not in, in sort of a ghetto where we're emphasizing our distinctives. I, I right. don't want to be known for our distinctives. I want to be known for, for preaching Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, we want to hold firmly to our distinctives because yeah. we believe they're biblical. What, so, What would you say? Yeah. What would you say to a to a pastor or or an elder uh, board or, or, or session of elders who are um, leading a church that maybe has a a good kind of basic strongly you know clear evangelical statement of faith, but they don't have that more robust uh, confession of faith, uh, but but they want to to move their church towards that, and the church has all always been you know uh, you know conservative in its doctrine. You know they 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 sure. adhere to all the essentials of of evangelicalism, but confessionalism might might be new to them. And I'm not talking about moving a Baptist church to become a Presbyterian church, but you know a Baptist church to being a confessionally you know London Baptist uh, church right. in terms of what 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 would you say? You know, here here are the few things, pastors, elders, that 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 you need to be sure and do if you're going to move your church in in that direction. Well, I would say you have to start with the elders. I mean, they have to be convinced the church needs to move in that direction and 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 what the direction is. So, I would encourage them to start beginning to discuss the reality. We have a doctrine. Mm-hmm. 
um, why isn't it written down? <laughs> like, it's not going to be okay if our pastor gets up in the pulpit and preaches whatever he wants out of a particular text. Right. We all know that. So why don't we have it written down in a shared fashion? Mm -hmm. And I think sorting through um, what are the doctrines that are that that we have to hold together? We confess those together to live in the same church together. I think these historic confessional statements did a pretty good job of sorting through what those are. Um, right. I, I also think saying we want to confess something, though I don't think you have to have an a, you know four or five hundred year old confessional statement. I do think there's a lot of merit to the fact that there's a historical connectedness to that, and that those statements are pretty time tested. Right. Um, they've been they've been run through the historical ringer to some degree. So I think that sitting down with a group of elders and saying this is where we're going. So that's one. Two, beginning to teach. I think one mistake that happens with guys that want to go confessional direction is they say, I'm going to have a class teaching through the confession or something. Mm -hmm. And I just think, eh, you know, I would keep preaching. And then where I knew one of the confessions used the language of what I was preaching or wrote language with regard to the argument I was making that was much better than what I would say, mm -hmm. I would actually just pull the language out in the sermon and use it. Right. So I'm teaching through Romans three and I'm talking about justification and I would go to the LBC or, or the Westminster confession or whatever, and read some of the language they have on justification there and say, listen to how these men stated what yeah. we're, we're studying here in Paul. And they started seeing that and going, this is really good. Right. Right. right? Yeah. Um, so I kind of came to it somewhat inductively in that way. Mm -hmm. So, we've just moved along until eventually it's just become part of our bloodstream, but we haven't pushed so fast and so hard um, that it's caused problems. In right. fact, I would argue that's one of the things I learned from Carl in the a course I took from him on Luther, Yeah, just Luther's patience and reformation. Right. Um, that was helpful to me. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is I am an incredibly helpful person, despite the momentary mistake of endorsing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Carl, I would say in all fairness that you've been incredibly helpful to me personally and to my church um, oh. in the things you've written and spoken on. Um, you know, sometimes you're a little cranky, yeah. but yeah, other than that, so... it's, it's been really good. Yeah. It's been really good. Yeah. Um, and check, very helpful. Yeah. Well, checks I, in the post, I, man. I, I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how happy I am to, to see Carl publicly affirmed this way. Uh, it'll make it really, it'll make it really easy to be around him for the next few has, hours. Has Todd ever been helpful? To <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Todd has. Actually, we no. dealt with the issue in my church and I, I was looking for outside help for it because I didn't have a presbytery to go to. And um, you, Carl, connect me with Todd, and Todd was very helpful. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. How about that? Okay, so I'm going to be obnoxious for the next few hours. Well, Chad, thanks for. I mean, we we could we could go on. I mean, the issue is fascinating, and I think a lot of pastors and a lot of churches have had to try to navigate. You know, how, how do we how do we become clearer? How do we find something that will give us a a, a better footing? Uh, what is this thing called confessionalism? And 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 moving a church in that direction uh, is a wise thing, but it, there's also lots of landmines, as any big changes can be. Yep. And so, um, uh, uh, moving forward with great patience and great wisdom is is vital. Well, our our, our guest today has been uh, the Reverend Chad Vegas. Yes, that is his real name uh, from Bakersfield, California. And we might have to have you back soon just to talk about. Um, uh, COVID pastoring during the the COVID days in a state like California, goodness gracious! Uh, yeah. But uh, that that would that that will be for uh, an, another uh, 
program, perhaps. But Chad, thanks for uh, spending time uh, with us and talking some about some interesting days in evangelicalism. Uh, appreciate the conversation very much. Yeah, thanks, brothers. We appreciate you. Appreciate you very much as well. Absolutely. Well, if if, if you're a listener, uh, we, we would encourage you to swing by our our website, mortificationofspin.org. And uh, we're going to be giving away uh, the book that uh, Chad mentioned by Carl Truman uh, called The Creedal Imperative. Uh, we have a new edition of it uh, wherein it is endorsed by Mark Driscoll. And so... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, That's but, that was a low blow, a low <laughs> blow. <laughs> but uh, come, come by mortificationofspin.org, enter to win a copy of, of Carl's, and it is a wonderful book, The Creedal Imperative. And while you're there, if you're so moved, uh, uh, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is a donor-supported ministry, and if you like the, uh, the content they provide, uh, you can make a contribution to them. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we look forward to being with you next time. Viva Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. We just want you to dish that any of the dirt you have on the big Eva boys, uh, Chad. Is, yeah. is that right? Okay, we we want you to out a bunch of people. Um, That's fine. Yeah. As you know, I mean, on the podcast, we like to avoid controversy at any point. We're very much kind of try to make everybody happy yes, all the time. Yes, yes. Uh, Middle of the road on every issue so that you please everyone. Yeah, we never name names. We're, right. We're kind of... Uh, yeah, you know, we're very PCA, even though I'm in the OPC. We're very PCA on these things. So, do you have any thoughts on what might be a good book to give away at the end? I know you're a big Francis Chan fan. But- <laughs> so, you know, talking about evangelicalism and that kind of thing. What might be uh- any book that's helped you in your move from you know darkness to light, or light to darkness, depending on, on your. Um- Gosh, that's a great question. You, you do read oh, books, don't you, Chad? <laughs> I do. Probably, I mean, it, it seems like a different conversation, but I do think it has a lot of bearing. Is probably your book, Creedal Imperative. Carl. Well, you Vegas, you, you just wisely, you went way down in my book when you just <laughs> I, when you just I, pandered I, to Truman <laughs> like that. Celebrate the heroes of the Reformation with limited edition prints by artist Catherine Marchand. These high-quality prints capture the unique personalities of Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, Wycliffe, Calvin, and others. Reproduced on artist top-grade rag paper, these prints will soon become a treasured part of your personal collection. Award-winning artist Catherine Marchand presents Reformation Art. Start your collection today. Purchase prints online at katherinemarchandart.com. That's Catherine with a C, M-A-R-C-H-A-N-D, katherinemarchandart.com.